I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on the Digital Divide. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You know, it's hard to do almost anything these days without high-speed internet access and a laptop or computer, whether it's remote learning, working from home, or getting bargains for basic necessities online. If you don't have access, you're missing out. For children and families in economically under-resourced communities without good internet access, that means they get left behind in their education, job opportunities, programs, and important information. During the pandemic, that divide has become even more glaring. The experts tell us that things will never go back to the way they were, and many jobs won't return in the same way. But the good news is, if you can get your internet access right, and you're willing to put in the work, you can find new opportunities that can change your life and create a new future for you and your family. We're going to find out how to do that with our expert panel. Very excited to talk with everybody for this show. Joining me is Cherie L. Smith. She is the editor-in-chief of Laptop Magazine. Cherie, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. We really appreciate it. Also with us is Pat Robinson. She is the Vice President for Human Resources and Community Engagement at MediaCo, that's Hot 97 and WBLS. She's also an educator and a consultant. Pat, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me today. Really excited. Thank you so much. Also with us is Sharon Doris. He's executive director of the Adam Street Foundation. Sharon, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Sheree, I want to ask you, did you ever foresee such a revolution in terms of our dependence on the whole digital universe as we are now? Um. In terms of being in a pandemic, no, but absolutely, I saw things. Uh, we we were already moving towards that. Like we hold supercomputers in our hands; they're called smartphones. Um, we we they're becoming as if not more powerful than the laptops that we use. Um, and yeah, I could I saw this just not working from home for almost a year. Um, I never foresaw that. And Sharon, in terms of the in terms of the educational piece, because that's the part we've heard about. We've seen kids in homeless shelters. Legal aid had to sue to try to get them Internet access so they wouldn't fall behind. Educators tell us if kids don't read by a certain grade level, second grade or fifth grade or whatever, they could actually be tracked, you know, in a very negative way for the rest of their lives. How important is this digital piece to education right now? Uh, it's mission critical, to be honest with you. You know, uh, this has been a long time coming. Uh, for years, the education field has talked about the importance of blended learning and the move to blended learning. And so I think people have known that it was coming. Uh, but given everything that's gone on in the pandemic, it's become apparent that, uh, you know, having a computer, working internet access is critical, uh, not only to have a job, but certainly to get a great education and then go so forth and be a uh, uh, contributing, uh, meaningful contributors to society and a, a civilian. So um, it's more important than ever and will continue to be super important. And we're, we're going to talk about that in the ways that it's happening and some of the work that you're doing to help the kids as well. Um, Pat, in terms of the job sphere, a lot of people, we lost a lot of jobs here in New York City. Many of them were service industry. People were would be managers of hotels or managers of stores, managers of other or different various facilities. Those jobs are gone the economic experts say they may never return. What's your picture on where we are with this digital thing right now and what opportunities exist? Yeah, so just understanding that we've been pushed and nudged in a way where we all have become catalysts of innovation in a space that we are not really prepared 
that encompasses a lot of things. So that encompasses just reliability on internet access. Internet access is not a luxury. That also relies on new skills and training. And what does that mean? And how do we get it? And how do we afford it? So there's a lot of opportunities out there, but there are also a lot of challenges that need to be addressed as well. I myself find myself, you know, teaching myself on free resources, even to this day. A lot of people do not have the bandwidth or don't even know where to begin to find free resources or to even tap into places that they've never been involved in. So I think it's a really important discussion. All right. We're going to talk more about how you can tap into these resources. We're also going to talk about just the whole landscape of the job situation right now, and also how to keep the kids from falling behind in school during this challenging time. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. What up? This is Trey Songz, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, real people, only on Hot 9-7. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the digital divide in education, jobs, and just every aspect of our lives. With Cherie Smith, she's the editor in chief of Laptop Magazine. Cherie, great to have you with us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Also with us is Pat Robinson. She's the vice president of human resources and community engagement for MediaCo New York, which is Hot 97 and WBLS. She's also an educator at the college level and a consultant. Pat, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Sharon Darris. He's executive director of the Adam Street Foundation. Uh, Sharon, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Sheree, when we've spoken, you you say that uh, internet access needs to be considered a basic essential of life, like electricity, clean water, housing. Why do you say that? Absolutely, because in the world that we're living in now, uh, you need a strong, viable uh, internet connection, whether it's for education, whether it's for work. Um, it, it's just become vital, especially in the current circumstances that we find ourselves in. And uh, in a lot of uh, homes, uh, well, especially if you're below the poverty line, a lot of those homes don't have mobile or um, landline bro- um, internet. And it's become a, it's becoming a problem if you're working remote, if you have a child that needs to attend virtual classes uh, and you don't have the internet, that means that your child is essentially absent or you are absent from work. You can't participate in the many Zoom and Google Meets and Skype meetings that we're all um, using to communicate these days. So, um, and it's something that's been happening in other countries. In Norway, internet, uh, broadband internet, high-speed broadband internet is an absolute right. Uh, And the same thing needs to go for the United States, we consider ourselves the most, the world's um, biggest superpower. So if we don't have it here, what does that say about us? Exactly. Sharon, what about that in terms of education and the access? Tell us what you're seeing and what the Adam Street Foundation, what you guys are trying to to do to uh, make things better. Sure. You know, so if you think about it for a second, everything that we do every day uh, is reliant on the internet. And so when you apply it to a young person in particular, you know, everything from applying for a job. I mean, when's the last time someone applied for a job with a piece of paper uh, to applying to college so that kids can create a better future for themselves? All that stuff is online. And, and while you might have a mobile phone, which certainly is a great device, you know, to do all of that stuff in great detail just really isn't realistic. And so people definitely need to have computers. and They need to have high speed Internet access. 
Uh, related to this pandemic, you know, I, we were thrown for a loop by by everybody else. And so one of the things that we did pretty early on, and we just happened to have the devices ready for it, was that we took every device that we had, and, and we support uh, about 500 kids throughout throughout Brooklyn primarily, uh, myself and the principal of the school that we work with, we actually took about 30, 40 laptops, drove door to door around the city, and we just delivered computers um, to families that were that's in need. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, you know, that's certain stuff that we've done. Um, but I mean, the, the need continues to be great. No, it's huge. Okay, you also teach at Westchester Community College. It'll get a lot in your 24 hours every single day. In terms of that, you told me that there's actually more educational opportunities for people because of the online access. Explain that. Yeah, absolutely. But before I do, I I definitely want to talk about my experience during the pandemic as an educator, because I think it's important for people to understand there's this struggle for young people to identify, is it even worth it to continue my studies at this when the economy is down. And if I do, now I'm faced with these new challenges of remote learning, not being in the same place. And so we're charged as educators to provide this quality instruction in a synchronous environment, but making sure that we hold our students accountable, but also bridging a sense of empathy to understand that this is all new, this is challenging. And so it's a really robust kind of intensity And for me personally, I really am responsible and take it personally to make sure that my students learn. But I do see challenges. In our syllabus, we are required to outline all of the criteria. One of the criteria that are on our syllabus, on mine in particular, is that you must turn your camera on. And then I found out that I had to kind of come back off of that because that is really important to know that everyone is not in a position to turn their camera on. There are different situations happening at home. And so I've had to become a little bit more flexible. And for me, it was about really making sure that they showed up and how to keep them engaged during that semester. And by the grace of God, my classes have been filled to capacity and my passing rate has been about 97%. And I embark on a new semester next week where I have another full class and I've spent a lot of disciplined time to make sure that when I roll out this engagement, I'm taking into consideration that there's uh, internet access issues, there's household issues, there's income issues, there's isolation issues. And then there's this pressure for these students to deliver all of these assignments and stay kind of within the zone of passing. So I might have went off the topic a little bit, but I just no, really, that, wanted, no, that, really yeah, wanted to share that. A lot of aspects. No, you did. That was that was very very important and very important information. No, it's a broad topic. We want to bring in as much as possible. Should we tell us you're, you're running an online magazine? You you deal with different, a lot of writers are used to working alone, but what kind of what have you been seeing in terms of the the impact of the pandemic and people? You know, you're not in your office. You're you're working from home and trying to coordinate all that. Give us a, give us a sense of what you've been going through. Well, on the lighter side of things, my home is slowly but surely turning into a laptop depot, Um, boxes everywhere. Um, But on the more serious side, it's really important for me that I constantly stress to my uh, team that they need any time that they need a break. I don't I don't care. Like I like take a break, take a day, take two days, because the burnout factor is real, because day after day, you're just sitting there. And we're writing and we're working, but it, it it's not the same as being able to have that face-to-face interaction. Who knows when we're going to be able to have it again? Like we were out of the office 
we went home in March. So we're about to hit a year that we've been working from home. And thankfully, uh, my parent company, Future PLC, they've been really uh, on the ball with it. And um, every night they have um, hardship funds just in case you've fallen behind your rent or like uh, they're putting out like now that people are really transforming their um, home space in the office space, they've uh, found ways to do stipends and things of that nature. But I think the real key to this is just really staying in tune with your team. Um, the company has also been uh, providing mental health services uh, because it like depending on who your um staying with during the pandemic or if you're by yourself like there's a lot that goes on mentally there's and a lot emotionally more that, that's happening with it Sharon what about you know there, there's the discipline issue there's the isolation issue there's also the the schedule issue because school especially for the little kids you know the school is kind of a way the whole family organizes the whole household organizes their lifestyle everyone has to go to bed by a certain time you have to get up at a certain time everyone has to have their clothes ready their book bags packed you know, all of that, all of that type of type of thing. What are you seeing happening with with the kids? Because digitally, like, how do you maintain some sense of structure digitally? We're, we're seeing a lot of young people struggling, you know, uh, it is going on almost a year at this point. And so sometimes I sit in on classes that our teachers are teaching. And so certainly we've got the issue of kids not turning on cameras, but we've got issues where we're reaching out to kids sometimes in the middle of the day where they are just waking up at 11 or 12 o'clock because they've been up all night. You know, their cycles are all thrown off by everything going on. Um, in addition to all the compacting issues around, you know, el- multiple generations of family in a household, uh, people having to work because they can't afford to work from home or they don't have the type of job where they can't work from home. And so it's been super stressful. Uh, we've tried to do everything we can in terms of making uh, you know, uh, counselors available, uh, support services in place, but it is super hard out there. It really is. Well, we're going to, when we come back, we're going to talk about some ways that you can maybe make it better for yourself and also for your families. This is Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Salute. This is General Steele from Smith & Wesson. And right now you're listening to Street Soldiers with your girl, Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the digital divide. So many changes in our lives since the pandemic. So many problems, so many issues. But there's also some hidden opportunities. We're going to talk about that with our guest. Joining me is Sheree Smith. She's the editor-in-chief of Laptop Magazine. Sheree, great to have you with us. Excited to be here. Thank you so much. Also with us is Pat Robinson. She's the vice president of HR and community engagement for MediaCo. They own WBLS and Hot 97 in New York. She's also an educator and a consultant. Pat, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Sharon Darris. He's executive director of the Adam Street Foundation. Sharon, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Sheree, what do you say to people in terms of job opportunities, not necessarily as digital journalists, but in terms of the digital sphere? We see these big companies like Google and Facebook and, you know, the, the uh, Silicon Alley, the Fifth Avenue version, the Manhattan version. Are there jobs like that for people who were previously working maybe service industry jobs or other jobs that they can train themselves for or get training for? Absolutely. Um, some, the good thing about Google is that they are 
suspending the need for college um, degrees. So you could potentially find yourself working at Google or a top tech company if you if you're just talented and you have the skill level and the work to and you can prove your work. That's the great thing about it. My question is is how is Google finding these qualified candidates? Because um, if you saw a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of their ex recruitment officers gave a long thread on Twitter about the struggles that she went with went through trying to get uh, Google to look at applicants from HBCUs. So if they're having problems with getting college educated people in there, how are they getting uh, people without those credentials? No, exactly. Pat, you're one of the people that uh, first sees candidates for various positions and and you're also a diversity and inclusion specialist. What do you look for? Is what you're looking for in a candidate, is that changing? Are those qualifications changing? Well, I I think that we're always gonna look for top quality candidates that are talented, but what is changing is just understanding that the economic uh, environment has changed, right? So companies have sustained severe blows to their bottom lines. And at this point, when there are positions that are open, we are sometimes looking for the most qualified that can really meet the results, right? So if that comes with suspending some of the criteria in terms of educational uh, minimums and versus what it looks like on an experience level, that would be the case. Um, But nonetheless, there are, unfortunately, it is an employer's market right now. There are so many people that are unemployed. There is an opportunity to take your time and really go through candidates, whether it be through LinkedIn, uh, networking groups. So, you know, it's really important for people who are interviewing and looking for jobs to not be afraid of the job descriptions. Be honest with yourself and identifying the things that you know that you're strong at and be real clear and and transparent on the things that you know that you're weak at, right? And it doesn't mean that you would disqualify for the position, but there's a nice time right now where we are in this position where we're sitting down with less distractions to a degree to really focus on uh, free courses and learning and really disciplining your time so that you can find a teachable skill. Like even with me, I've gotten better being at home with less distractions. At first, it was really tough for me because I was so used to being out yeah, in the absolutely. world with everything going back and forth. And so I struggled for, for about two months. And then I realized that there is really power in sitting down with less distractions because you are forced to take a look at yourself. You are forced to measure yourself up against other individuals in your industry and identify those who are doing it well and possibly take some tips. Exactly. Shawana, what's your what's your take on that in terms in terms of job preparedness? Yeah, and so that's t- definitely taking a hit. But one of the things that we also have to keep in mind is, so all of the challenges, particularly people of color and underserved people have seen uh, regarding social injustice, racial bias. I mean, all of those things are increased substantially in this type of environment. And so, you know, if we move to where, you know, in the example was Google a second ago, where people are not going to look at college degrees and they're just going to look on, you know, supposed skill set and experience. You know, people people by default have bias towards people that feel like them. And so, you know, I, I really worry a lot about uh, our young people who are trying to get into these uh, career paths where they can have a greater opportunity for themselves. And the people don't necessarily look like them or have the same type of background. 
uh, the barriers are actually going to be that much greater. And then, and then are there resources, Sharon, for people that, you know, for, for parents in terms of helping them with it, with this whole education or, or even getting, you know, getting equipment, anything like that? Yeah. So, so I think the city has done a pretty good job. If you were a public school student of making sure that everyone has a computer, it's taking some time. Uh, we're going through the next iteration of making sure that, you know, people, computers that people have at home are still working, uh, getting those refurbished. There are certainly support organizations out there that do some of that work, nonprofits that do that work independently. So that stuff is out there. Uh, but the broadband acts is probably the big gap uh, that's going to continue to be an issue for a lot of people. All right. And then, um, Sheree, in, in terms of in terms of jobs, like what types of jobs, like what kind of qualifications would people need if they say, OK, listen, I want to find some job in technology or in this whole digital universe. Are there real jobs like that that are out there that are you know, looking for people from from your perch at the top of Laptop Magazine there? Um, coders, programmers, they're always going to be a high demand um journalists like we people need to know what's going on whether it's in consumer tech whether it's politics whatever it is um the great thing about working in a digital space is that you're kind of at liberty to make you make your own business and it it doesn't take this uh massive effort if you have uh, a laptop a desktop and a solid internet um, connection you can like the world is essentially your oyster if you play your cards right and pat you said you're a big proponent of continuing to develop uh, no matter what position you're in and when we spoke you said to me lisa listen there's opportunities now um because everybody is online everybody is always on their you know on the internet there's courses that are there and you say even networking to, to get into some of these conferences or whatever that you would never get into before. Tell us why you say there are more opportunities now. Well, you know what? I've taken a look at, uh, I live in Southeast Queens. And so, for example, for though every community has a community board, community boards are really effective in turning out information that that folds forward resources. So, I've taken an opportunity to kind of get involved in spaces where I would probably in past time say, oh, that's just too boring or I don't want to hear it. Same old elected officials saying the same thing. But I've shifted my level of thinking to kind of get in that arena. And in that arena, there's a lot. I, they share resources. They're sharing dialect. There's a lot of things that I'm learning that can help me. And once I'm able to get it, then I share the resources. Also, even on, on social platforms like Facebook, there's a lot of Facebook groups that are in real big volumes where people are sharing resources, particularly for the Black and Brown com community, because there's this thing that they want to see each other rise to the top. So they're sharing information and resources freely. There's a lot of subject matter experts in these groups that are willing to donate their time to teach courses. In addition to that, I would even mention like there's opportunity in the education field. We had saw when the pandemic hit that a lot of teachers were afraid and they started to take their early retirement and there was a shortage of teachers. That opened up a lot of opportunities for paraprofessionals and things of that nature. So you really just have to look at where the need is and not be afraid to look at what is required and inquire about it and, and follow through. And look at some- If I could just jump in there a second, you know, the irony of all of this is particularly in the education space for the lower grades, uh, elementary school and middle school, there's actually a need for more teachers. 
You need more teachers to educate to educate young people when you're in a fully remote environment if you are actually physically in school. So there's a lot of opportunity. There's going to continue to be more opportunity out there. And Chuan, why do you say why do you say you need more teachers? So if you think about you know when you are working physically in a classroom, you've got the teacher who's able to go from one desk to the other and provide students. Sometimes students are helping each other. Well, in the remote environment. Our kids just aren't trained for that, right? And so uh, it's this totally new experience where they're fully sitting in front of a computer for hours at a time. Um, and the teacher can't go and be everywhere and give everyone the individual attention that they need. And so we're seeing that, you know, there's a need for more and more assistant teachers uh, in these virtual rooms to work with kids, you know, one-on-one, whether they're doing, they're doing math or they're doing other assignments in order to help them get up to speed and keep up with the work. All right, this is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yeah, yeah, what up, what up, what up? This is Styles Peter Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people, only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the digital divide in education, jobs, and life in general. Joining me for this conversation, Cherie L. Smith. She's the editor-in-chief of Laptop Magazine. Cherie, great to have you with us. I'm grateful to be here. Yep, good to have you. Also with us is Pat Robinson. She's the vice president of HR and community engagement for MediaCo, um, which owns Hot 97 and WBLS. She's also a college educator and a consultant. Pat, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Sharon Darris. He's executive director of the Adam Street Foundation, trying to make sure our kids in the most, in the neediest communities get the education that they deserve and need. Sharon, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Sheree, so for people watching this right now, what, what are the bare basic minimums that they should be looking for in terms of internet, in terms of equipment? Because you, you see all these things that are coming in. What do you really need to take advantage of all the things we've been talking about? Um, you really need a solid laptop. And um, nowadays, you, it doesn't need to be something that costs an arm, a leg, a firstborn babe. Um, you can get, you can get um, by with something that's um, $500 or less. Um, especially for the kids, the kids need Chromebooks. So a lot of schools uh, are uh, divvying out Chromebooks, but Chromebooks, they tend to start at $500. That's a, that's the high end, but most Chromebooks start at $200. And that's, that's um, enough for a kid to do their necessary assignments. It has a webcam and what have you. For um, older students and for people looking to get into work, um, in the workspace, I would recommend a laptop that's about a thousand dollars, like in that frame, because you get the processing and graphics power that you might need to um, complete your job. It has a better webcam. It has better audio. Um, if you know that you're going to be doing a lot of uh, Zoom meetings or just going to be doing a lot of video conferencing, you might want to get a better mic, um, a USB mic, uh, which they can start at $100, but you can find a, um, really good ones like the Blue Snowball. That's $49. Um, one that you just clip. That's a very good one. One of our... Uh... One of my cameramen recommended that, 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 that just clips on. Some of them are even, even less than that. Um, and if you like, like us, like I have lights everywhere, but a ring light on Amazon is about $30. 
um, laptops that I would recommend under, we have a, I'm not, there are a lot under a thousand dollars and we have on our website, um, laptops under a thousand dollars. If you go to laptop mag, cheap pop, but, um, we have no, go ahead. every, no, people want every bu- um, budget and use case. So, uh, because I don't want to like, I don't want to just say one and like uh, there there's tons of laptops. So definitely check us out. We have, um, up-to-date recommendations, uh, and, uh, if you stay tuned next week, we should have even more recommendations because, uh, a slew of laptops are about to be released. They're currently under embargo, so I can't get too deep into it, oh, but they're good. exciting. Come on, come on. But you're saying, so since you can't tell us that basically, basically you're saying that you, you need to have like, especially for work for school, the kids can get away with less. Uh, less of a laptop for for work if you're really trying to advance and, and advance with your career you need a good ca- you need a good a good camera you need the graphic capability you need what would be like I rec- and I would also recommend maybe a two-in-one laptop something that can convert from your traditional laptop to maybe a tablet to presentation mode um, because now in this digital space we're doing a lot more collaborative work and you need a device that can roll with the punches. So a two, a really good two in one uh, that can just you can flip and fold and do whatever it can. And they're lightweight. Um, I think those are the way to go. Those are the way to go. Okay, for all for all, all purposes. Pat, what recommendations do you have for people that are they're really trying to look? You've given us some great ideas already. Yeah, I, I just would challenge the the powers to be that are in charge of making decisions in regards to education to create digital learning days for adults. I think that is so important and, and for us not to assume that every parent that is doing remote instruction with their children has a really good grasp on it. And so I would challenge subject matter experts who don't mind donating their time to really create a hub of digital learning days so that we can help educate people who are in need of skill set training so that they can help their, their students. I'll just give a quick story. My, my daughter had got the coronavirus earlier last year, and I was responsible for my grandson's instruction for two weeks. And literally, I almost went crazy because I just could not figure things out as savvy as I was. It was a lot for me to figure out his schedule, what he had to do. He's got a brain break, never heard of it. So it was all of these things. So I, I understand that there's a need for further education and how to navigate in this space. So I just would love like to see a hub of digital learning days for adults. No, absolutely. Sharon, what about that? Because a lot of the a lot of parents, too, are not as savvy. You know, just because you can you can go on social media on your phone doesn't mean you can navigate these programs. Yeah, you know, I think parents have really gotten a great appreciation for what teachers have to do. Uh, we've seen all the memes and jokes about that. But but what I in particular, what I'd like to say is that, you know, a lot of people have actually benefited over the past year. Uh, particularly if you work in a nice corporate job that pays well, uh, people have actually done really, really well. The stock market is reflective of that. And so I think there's a real opportunity for people who have benefited to uh, be of service to other people. And so, you know, the Pat's point, you know, great opportunity for people to mentor, great opportunity for people to uh, be career coaches, to go into schools and volunteer. I'd love to see more people do that uh, so that there's more equity in this city. And then, Sharon, in terms of the um, in, in terms of the jobs, I want to come back to the jobs, too, because you, you have a lot of involvement with that with that as well in technology. 
what do you say to somebody who's who's maybe you know in their early 20s doesn't have a college education wants to get into coding wants to get into some of these things yeah there's some great programs out there so there's lots of options and so you know everything from something as simple as you know you can probably find a youtube video that will teach you how to do coding to there are nonprofit organizations exactly there are nonprofit organizations that'll do the teaching to you know if you happen to have means you can take classes and learn that stuff you know, you don't have to do it formally, but those options are in place as well. Jerry, what about the final, like a final word for everybody on the whole digital thing? Are we going to, is this going to be, this is kind of like a learning curve or birth pains, growing pains? Um, It's definitely a growing curve. It's a learning curve. But I, what I like about this is that we are learning how we work. Um, and by that, I mean, before you really were tied to a location, you had to come into the office. Um, now people, people's um, market has expanded because now it's remote. Like you don't see uh, job listings for uh, New York based, or at least in my field, like people are realizing like, hey, maybe like I have someone that works in Wisconsin. I have two people that work in the United Kingdom. And we get, we meet and we do our meetings and we get our work done and we've been more productive than ever. And I think that is a, like a, that's a great thing. Cause then you don't have to be geographically disadvantaged or you can live someplace where housing is less expensive than a New York or, or some of the, some of the other cities. Sheree, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Pat, what about the, um, what advice you want to leave people with in terms of like, let's leave them with some hope. Cause this is, you yeah, know, so, so out I- there. I know. So if I had to say one really positive thing about this in this negative pandemic is that I found some sense of family balance in terms of traveling so much on public transportation, dedicating so many hours, ripping and running to the city and back and forth. So I've been able to kind of really focus in back in my home. And also in reference to technology, it is a growing curve, but it is a positive curve because now I'm less reliant on others. And I recognize that it, a lot of this has to be done by me. So it's forcing me to learn in spaces that I've not been forced to learn before. And I'm kind of becoming my own subject matter expert, which means my hand is on my product, is on my result. And I think that's ultimately a good thing. That's an empowering thing. Sharon, leave us with some hope for these kids. What do you... What sure, do you- sure. You know, I'll, I'll just say what the obvious thing is, is that it is a new day. We've got a new administration in this country. I am hopeful that we've, we've turned a corner and that things are going to get a lot better. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I want to thank all of you for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Sheree L. Smith, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Pat Robinson, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. And Sharon Darris, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. If I could just say one more thing, I've watched your show forever as a kid. Thank you for everything that you've done and your team. You are wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers, because without you and if you weren't watching or listening, there would be no Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love and justice for all.